Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We've got a recruiting segment as our Jake Brown is down in Texas, so we got him on the phone to talk a little bit about three commitments he's seeing and sort of the state of Notre Dame's class overall. Uh, obviously, we've got questions for our readers. You might guess the tenor of those at uh, 2 and 5. And But first, let's get into sort of Notre Dame coming off the bye week, previewing Miami a little bit. Um, the rivalry? Do we want to talk about the rivalry? Because no. the players don't know a damn thing about it. Although Jerron Jones did admit that he was slightly aware of it because his dad was a Notre Dame fan, his older brother liked Miami, and Jerron was like, could not figure out why his dad liked Notre Dame at all. Said the uniforms were plain, they got nothing going on, like, what is this about? Um, some of it, He did say he watched the U30 for 30s, but I really think that's the extent of knowing anything about Notre Dame Miami the series um he did he was a freshman on the 2012 team so I guess maybe that counts a little bit but um yeah it's uh it's still an interesting game from a football perspective but certainly the the work Notre Dame has to do is uh ubiquitous right those are historical footnotes and they're fun for those of us that lived it it has absolutely nothing to do with this game whatsoever um you know it's a Miami team that as healthy as Notre Dame is, Miami is the exact opposite. They're absolutely beaten up. They may get a, a defensive lineman or two back this week. But if you remember before the season started, Mohammed, their defensive end, and Grace, their uh, Jermaine Grace, their linebacker, were kicked off the team. So, I mean, they have been working at a talent deficit from the beginning of the season. They beat up on some average teams. Um, you know, they've lost three in a row. They really, they finally really spit the bit against Virginia yeah. Tech. And Virginia Tech is a really good football team. I think the best football team remaining on Notre Dame's schedule. But, you know, can Notre Dame pull it together? Two weeks preparation. And again, as healthy as as we've seen a Notre Dame team at this time of year in several years. Yeah, I mean, Miami, for injury, let's put this in Notre Dame terms. Imagine Notre Dame's defense without Rochelle, Jerron Jones, Jerry Tillery, and Niles Morgan. That's exactly that's, that's Miami exactly right, right. Yeah, but if you watch Miami play, there's still talent. There's, 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 they've tapped into the depth, and it's young. Their linebackers are all uh, freshmen. But, man, I don't know where they keep getting the defensive linemen to – you know, Miami. Yeah, they get them from <laughs> close to home, yeah. very close to home. They get them, but I'm, mean, you know, so so they're tough. And you know, I mean, do we know that? I think actually, I think the weather forecast is pretty good for yes. Saturday, which is kind of unfortunate for Notre Dame because if you could get a rainy, wet, chilly, windy, because then Notre Dame would run the ball. Kind of. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. They take full advantage of the opportunity. Now, Miami might not right, quite right. be as enthused about playing as we once saw in in El Paso. Yeah. In, in in the Sun Bowl, but uh, look, this is an oppor- This is still a huge opportunity for Notre Dame to win. I know it's a it's a long shot. You got to win four out of five to get to a bowl game. But if you beat Miami, 
You then have the academies after that, and I know we probably all feel that if Notre Dame beats Miami, Navy will beat Notre Dame. But if you beat Miami, you've got a chance to even your record of 5-5 five and five with a couple wins over academy teams. That's, that's an ultra-optimistic viewpoint. I'm not quite sure where the Notre Dame team actually looks at. They talk a good game, but they're going to have to produce and win a game so they can avoid a four-game losing streak at home. Mentally, this is what I think you guys referenced earlier. This is, I think, would be the breaking point. If you have a bye week and you go 2-6, and six, it is not getting better just because you're playing teams with supposedly less talent than you on a football field in Navy. I think the worst thing that happened for Miami was that Notre Dame had a bye Going into this, I, I do think they'll be able to reevaluate, kind of refresh. Look, Notre Dame's defense is more confident than it's been since 2013. <laughs> no, since the beginning of 2014. Uh, the offense is not as bad as it looked. Uh, it's Look, this offense was rolling early in the year. There's got to be a happy medium between not being able to do anything against Stanford and what they were doing against Texas. But the worst thing that happened for Notre Dame is that Miami's lost three in a row. You know, it's yeah. they, they, they're looking to regroup as well. But you said they lost three in a row. They're beaten up from it. Notre Dame... Lost two in a row, a little bit of a break. At least, I think the mental break had to help. They, they were just losing, losing games and finding ways to lose games, and they can't find a way to win a game. If you don't find a way to win this one, I don't know when your next win is. You're going to have to – I mean, if you see Miami receivers with Coley, they've got a freshman, Amon Richards, who's really playing well now, Barrio, they've got a couple tight ends. Their running backs are both competent. The worst part of Miami's offense is their offensive line. But, I mean, that, that's, that boats well, though. It, yeah. it doesn't matter that Notre Dame can't rush the passer. If you have a good offensive line, it right. doesn't matter how confident Notre Dame's new defense they can, is. They, that's a problem. They, they yeah. can throw the ball. They can throw the ball yeah. over yard. Kai's not very mobile, but he's probably not going to face a great pass rush right. either. You know, so I, I mean, I'm re- I'm very interested to see how Notre Dame responds here. I think we look when the Stanford game ended. What did we we say? They're they're they haven't they haven't given up yet. They're going to continue yeah. to fight. That should still be true with a little bit extra rest, but I, I do agree, Pete. You, they're, agree. Still, they're going to fight. They're definitely fighting in this one. Yeah, they but if they but if that, they yeah. lose, I, I mean, yeah, human nature, you only have so much. Yeah, I I've been impressed. Like you like you said, they talk a good game. Um, I mean, it's believable. Um, mm-hmm. You believe that they are actually you know working hard and still dialed into meetings and enjoying coming to work every day. And I think the. The what do you have to play for narrative is really one of the more ridiculous media tropes that uh, we sometimes engage in. But I think the the question, which I think is more legitimate, is like the what do you have to prepare for? What do you have to go to a meeting for? What do you have to watch extra film for? That's the kind of stuff that's more interesting to me than like, ah, you just kind of loaf through that play on third and five uh, against Miami. Yeah, you like, don't do that in a game. That's right? not yeah. going to happen, but... You know, if you're not watching much film or maybe you're just like, you know, I'm going to go out on Thursday night, whatever. I mean, that's that's human nature of college kids. You would think that would happen. Now, I mean, the bye week, Brian Kelly 7-1 and one at Notre Dame off a of bye week. Certainly that is a positive for Notre Dame. I think if, there, if you were really grasping at a parallel here, maybe you could go back to 2010 when they beat Utah off a of bye week in a game that they really had no business winning um, based on the matchup. When you thought they were done as a yeah, team yeah, at that, that point. Yeah, that seemed like yeah. that's a checkout type opportunity, and they didn't check out. So 
That's one place you can look. Um, Miami's offensive line, they're down their starting right tackle for the rest of the year. They gave up eight sacks to Virginia Tech. But interestingly enough, they only given up 20 all year. Yeah. Um, so that was just a total there's fire been, sale. Yeah, there's been a, there, the last three games, obviously, Florida State and North Carolina. I mean, they're, they're starting to add up a little bit more now as they get into more difficult competition. They open with Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, and... App State. Florida East-West. Yeah, and Notre Dame's, <laughs> in, the, and Notre Dame's in the middle of that. You have Florida State, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech defenses. Yeah. The beginning of the year for Miami, Notre Dame's better than them. Notre Dame's not as good as those last three defenses. Right, right. And it's, I mean, there's going to be a happy medium. And it's, look, Notre Dame's not going to win this game because of their pass rush. It's going to win the game because they tackle well. They make some plays in the secondary. That, that's how a defense can win this Notre game. Notre Dame's given up one touchdown in the last 25 drives against them. Now, <laughs> that's going to be part of an upcoming formula on this uh, podcast. Gonna be a little different, yeah. I think. <laughs> when now there was all the, the yeah there was a, there was a hurricane, of course, and, and there was a Stanford team that has scored fewer <laughs> offensive touchdowns than Alabama has scored non-offensive touchdowns <laughs> on the season, and they're changing they're quarterbacks wow. now. Yeah, well, they might as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you have to lose. Yeah. Now their yeah their schedule. We were talking about this the other day, or we texting each other. It's, their schedule loosens up a little bit, and Ryan Burns is not their answer. Right, I think right. they all thought Keller Christ would be, and it's. Slower in development, but they they probably should just go ahead and make the move. As far as Miami's strengths defensively, I mean, with how young they are, banged up. Will Chad Thomas, their best defensive end, maybe their best defensive player, um, supposed to be back this week. We'll see. But they lead the nation in tackles for loss. Yes, a lot of that is built on Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, as, as Preacher was noting. But um, they're they're a really athletic defense. There's there's no. Yeah way around that um Notre Dame's offensive line I do think getting Colin McGovern back at right guard is probably more significant than a message board or Twitter would realize because Hunter Bevin really struggled against Stanford and McGovern while he is has been Notre Dame's fifth best offensive lineman there's he's still there's a big gap between five and six and he, I think I think we saw yeah that he's what he he has way more positive plays than negative plays yes right and that's all. That's all you can hope for, right. really. And um, you can't say that about Bivin. No, no, you cannot. <laughs> and you know, one of the things that Brian Kelly has talked about, he mentioned three guys playing more as the season goes on. One is one is Jonathan Bonner, but I think would be they should be playing him more already because Jerry Tillery has turned into he's getting into like the Isaac Rochelle, just leave him out there all the time. Yeah. Um, that's not a real positive. I'm. Curious about Stefferson because he's already jumped C.J. Sanders in terms of playing time. You look at how last week played out or the Stanford game played out. It's a situation now where the Notre Dame coaching staff clearly believes their best three receivers are Stefferson on the outside, Hunter in the slot, and then St. Brown. Um, You know, against Stanford, see, I had... Stefferson, I think he was at 44 snaps. Sanders only got 16. So, I mean, that that's a clear flip. Don't you think Sanders might have a little bit of an undisclosed injury? Because Chris Fink that's is, getting, Chris Fink that, is I mean, getting snaps, that's too, the only thing I can, Sanders. He That won. is the only thing I can think about, yeah. is that there's an injury there. Um, you know, against he Stanford. makes too many plays to not Well, you involved. have to ask a direct... You know, it's like I asked... I yeah. finally, we finally asked a direct question yeah. about Josh Adams. And, and Kelly was, yeah. was very honest about it, yeah. that... He said, "I would be less than honest if I said that he was, he's been a hundred percent, and it, it shows. I don't know that Dexter Williams is a hundred percent. He limped off. Yeah. Was it? Was it in the Stanford game? 
Yes. yes it was in the yeah, Stanford yeah, game. So, I mean, you know, he, and he only had, what, two carries. So, <laughs> Tari Fulson's now the healthiest yeah. running back. He looked, healthy. he looked healthy against yeah, he Stanford. Did. He did. Yeah. yeah, he did. I would I would think that he would continue to play well, um, you know, this weekend against Miami. It's He needs to get more than eight carries. And Joshua Adams needs to get more than eight carries. They they can't have two running their top two running backs combined for sixteen carries. That's ridiculous. Pete, you can't throw fifty times if you run too much. I just, <laughs> it it drives me insane to go through and, and chart all the plays and see what's effective and what's not, and then you get to play action passing, and they are absolutely deadly doing it for the year. Kaiser is seventy five. Point eight percent on play action passes, and he's averaging seventeen and a half yards per per attempt, not per completion, per attempt. And against Stanford, they ran one play action pass, and it was on the last drive of the game. Guess what? It hit for sixteen yards. Who's in charge of self? Yeah, I don't. I just. I just don't understand it. Um, I don't understand that at all. You know, Clay, Chase Claypool was the other guy that was thrown out as he needs to play a little bit more. He played some against. Stanford, but I mean, it wasn't a lot. They had one dialed up for him, though. They did have one dialed up for him. I mean, he made a catch, and then there was like a trick play that just kind of sort of busted. But it's um, between running the ball more, playing a few guys a little bit more, which is already happening. Um, and then I think I don't want to jump on one of the questions. It's just like, what do you do about the pass rush? If I was Notre Dame, I would give up on it. I would I would rush three, and I would drop eight. Because statistically, that's actually been effective. It's, yeah, and they they look good doing it. Yeah, I mean, all beginning with and, beginning yeah. with Syracuse, they they they've looked yes. pretty good with a three man rush. I mean, as good as you can expect yeah. a three man yeah, rush to be right. with the benefits on the back end of the defense. Yeah, I mean, especially this weekend against Brad Kite, who's not really that mobile anyway. No, there there should not be a fear of him taking off uh, when you have when you really should have three linebackers on the field all the time. They could track him down pretty easily after a two-yard game. You remember all those eight eight drops against Tommy Reese? I mean, they were so effective because you can't you can't take advantage. That Brad Kai yeah. could take advantage of it a little more than Reese could, but it's it's great because not a lot is, more. No, no and he, does, he you doesn't want to run. No, he, he doesn't. doesn't, and that's you got to you got to play to that if yeah. you're Notre Dame's defense. I, I I like the way that they are playing. Look, not a super exciting the way they play defense. They're ten yards off sometimes. It's just more effective in college football to make these teams drive all the way down on thirteen plays and score a touchdown. You know what happens? Once while they score a touchdown. The only reason Stanford got to do it is because Notre Dame didn't know how to kick a ball out of the end zone on a fumble. Yeah. That, that's that is Stanford's touchdown. It's, it's Did you know that they did you know they gave the touchdown to Bryce Love? Oh, did they end up giving Yeah, the, the Pac twelve officials when they After reviewed the fact, it. Though, yeah, yeah, when yeah. they reviewed Good, it. Said, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly yeah. <laughs> right. what happened. I'm like, wait a minute. That can't yeah. be a fumble recovery for a touchdown. He's either down. Or he scored a touchdown. A minute detail, but by the way, <laughs> it's only relevant in that Notre Dame yeah. couldn't. It's pick in it up Thursday thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have we come to the time of the podcast where the Tim O'Malley formula is? We have. To... Uh, all right, you know, as you know, living, breathing quarterbacks. Which we found out Ryan Burns is not quite that. And he's been replaced. <laughs> he's living. He's living. But he's not breathing anymore. You start with twenty-one points. I have a <coughs> quick trivia question for you guys: Tyler O'Connor, Ryan Burns, Daniel Jones, and Ryan Finley in a hurricane. What do they have in common with Brad Kaya? Nothing. <laughs> Add 14 points to the 21-point formula. Miami Ooh. has 35. Ooh. Notre Dame's allowed point streaks of 17, 36, 21, and 17 in four different games this year. 17, 36, 21, and 17. Good Lord. Add another two touchdowns. Miami has 49 points. By week. 
Brian Kelly, 7-1. I actually believe in that stat with Kelly. Don't ask me why. Take away 10 points. Miami down to 39. There's a lot of averages going on here, guys. Notre Dame's 0-5 in close games. It's almost impossible that this would continue, and they're going to play four more close games. It's starting to trend thinking maybe Notre Dame's going to get a couple breaks in this one. Take five points off of Miami's total. We're at 34. I feel like Notre Dame's fans, all 30,000 in attendance before the Cubs game, might actually respond to Miami's presence. Just a little bit. They're not the only people that care. They're the only people that care. So take three points off Miami's total. 31 points for a rabid 30,000 strong screaming the entire time. No, they'll, they'll almost fill up. It's a good thing this is not a night game, though. That would be a major, major oh, question. See what oh, happens. the weather would be The bad. $150 yeah. price tag per ticket, however, has been limiting up to this point. <laughs> On a related note, I to $150 price tag, uh, it was $13 for a faculty ticket when Notre Dame played Miami in 1988, and that's how I went in. 150 this year makes it seem kind of bad. I found my Jimmy Johnson Porked Face Satan t-shirt from <laughs> what? when I was... <laughs> what? That was the t-shirt I had. How does that me. affect the formula? Well, it, it seemed like, you know, that that's good for... <laughs> it's a good omen. I could give it to somebody walking in the right. maybe. Take 14 points off Miami's total. We're down to 17 points. Right now, Kaya's not even breathing. However, there's a mirage going on where they've held down NC State and Hurricane. The Wolfpack would have scored 30 points in that game. Give me a break. They held down Stanford, who is the worst offensive team you can want to play football live. Add 10 points to their total. Miami has 27. Speaking of the law of averages, something has to give. Miami's lost three in a row. I have gone against Notre Dame twice simply because I figured they couldn't find a way to win the game. 13 days ago, I had an epiphany that Notre Dame would win this game. Everything I have seen since makes me think I'm wrong. We are sticking with our gut. 28-27 Notre Dame. Defensive touchdown for the Irish is involved. The defense plays its best game of the season. Gives up 27 points. It's relatively speaking to Miami's mm-hmm. offense. All right. The defense is the better unit for Notre Dame in a 28-27 win. I think the offense will scuffle but find a way to get some touchdowns. Interesting. Irish by one. Cover. Win. Whole season turned around for one day. Defensive, so a defensive touchdown. A defensive or a touchdown. Not, we'll say a non-offensive touchdown. Which a, is a little Utah. Yeah, a little, little something going on. Back to 2010. RJ. Yeah, did you see him get in a fight with the Patriots? No, uh, no. It was awesome. And then the Bills won. We're talking about Ro- we're talking about Robert Blanton, <laughs> yeah. who had the uh, block punt return yeah. I, for a score against Utah. I like I like the seven and one Brian Kelly after a bye. I just like the law of averages eventually working in Notre Dame's favor. What I don't like are the five teams Notre Dame has lost to are eleven and nineteen and five and seventeen against Power Five competition. I just think Notre Dame's bad, so. That's why I'm picking Notre Dame to win. Like Notre Dame 26-24. There's just going to be some funkiness. Like Miami is susceptible. Like if Jerron Jones was ever going to block an extra point, which he does a lot, this would be a game where it happens. Um, I think Miami is sort of running on fumes. They're better than Notre Dame. I just think that Notre Dame is going to be a little bit better on Saturday. I, and I'm with you when you say the season turns around. For a day. Because yes, that's really where Notre Dame is. I'm, so Notre Dame 26, Miami 24. I'm wringing my hands over here because <laughs> there is the very real possibility that all three of us are going to pick Notre Dame to win this game. And when that happens, we'll be accused of kowtowing. Mm. Enabling. The, Enablers. To kowtowing to Brian Kelly and enabling him to continue. 
Well, don't worry, because no matter what happens, not all three of us are picking the room to win next week. There's a little hint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from several of the things that you guys are saying. I mean, I, there, there's always, you know, when they, when they've lost like this and they've lost five close games, you think, oh, well, they're never going to dig their way out of it. Well, rarely does that last for an entire season, and four straight losses at home with the personnel that you have. With the health that you've had this season, with the quarterback that you have, with the NFL level offensive lineman that you have on your team, they're due to win a close game. And Brian Kelly, other than this year, has been really pretty good at winning close games. He creates some of those close games by the way the game is coached. <laughs> it feels like Tommy Reese is really great back from bouncing back from adversity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but look, my, my, if Miami gets their passing game going, then it gets their running game going, and they're dangerous. They've got receivers. I mean, it's Miami. They've got yeah. receivers, and they have a quarterback that can get them the football. I'm, 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 I've been leaning towards Notre Dame all along, so I guess we're kowtowing again because we don't want to get cut off. Yeah. We don't want to get cut off from the information. Which I don't even know what that means. How would we get cut off from information? You guys, you guys aren't invited to Kelly's house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. No. No. It's uh yeah. I, the the Kaya thing is against three freshman defensive backs that Notre Dame is going to play because that's pretty much that's yeah. their the defense they're rolling with now is three freshman DBs, which is insane. Um. That's a concern. It, and, and we don't really know how good Troy Pride is yet because nobody throws at him. Um, Cole, look, Julian Love has been, I think, pretty impressive. But that's... Man. Do we know how good know. Brad Kaya is? I mean, I've kind of felt that way his Matt whole Miller career. Matt first-round pick. Of course. Oh, he is better than the guys that they have faced, though, this year. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, he's, no, yeah, yeah, he's the best yeah. quarterback they've yeah. faced up to this Certainly point. Not, yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh and, you know, his receiving core. And I don't know, I say that because every time I watch Brad Kaya, I'm like, what am I What am I missing here? And I think part of that is because their offensive line has been bad. Their offensive line has been a poor pass-protecting team. They've been better this year, and then they got overrun against Virginia Tech. I wish I could change my pick. We are just talking about how bad Stanford's offensive line was going into that Notre Dame game. They were bad. Bryce Love. You wish you could change plus. your pick? I can't. I can't. you got to go with your gut. There's no, there's no logic or reason to this season. I'm going with my gut. Irish. By a point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that logical take, we're going to wrap up segment one and get into segment two. We had a bunch of questions from our readers. So all that next on Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment two, our burning up the boards. Troll account. Fitting for the season asks, improvement in which position group, both offense and defense, is most important for success the rest of the year and thus creates most confidence for 2017? Uh, the reason they're in the situation they're in is because offensive and defensive line. I mean, I think you pretty much look at that every year, and as you move forward next year, if you're going to be a 9 or 10 win team again, I think that's where it starts. I, you know, Plus... You know, an emphasis on the ground game to take advantage of an improved offensive line if it if it doesn't even improve. But where's the pass rush come on the defensive line? I mean, I, I think clearly it starts with with both lines on this team. I agree. Offensively, um, they bring all five guys back. That position has been the biggest disappointment of the year. But 
I, defensively safety to me because defensive line they're sort of starting over a little bit with Rochelle and Jaron Jones leaving. Safety they bring that group back and that group's been okay. They've had a few moments here or there, but especially Devin Studstill needs to take these next five games and really build on them. I don't I'm not sure if I've seen the number of flashes here or there that I was hoping to see out of him. So I'd say offensive line and safety would be the two spots for me. I thought he played poorly against Stanford. I mean, they took him out of the lineup, right? I mean, that's yeah, I mean, when they stepped for Tita. Yeah. This year. And then other times he's really, really good. I get, hey, that's a, I guess that's a true freshman going up and down. I think still think there's a lot of ability there with him. It's just got to be consistent now. For me, it's the offensive line, clearly. And as Pete mentioned, all the guys coming back is crucial, including a guy like... Tristan Hodge getting into the mix, perhaps, because it's not like anyone should not be allowed to be upgraded. Needs to be your sixth guy. Uh, yeah, yes, he and he's got to play a little bit because they're getting to the point now. I mean, he could challenge Mustafer, couldn't he? I don't think he will. You don't think he'll challenge I really don't. No, I think Mustafer's just going to keep getting it's better just and the better. Snaps. It's the snaps. Yeah. Uh, and then mine's the secondary as a whole because of all the young corners coming back, getting confidence. You know, Cole Luke's gone. Uh, we don't know what Sean Crawford will be in August or in September, clearly. I mean, I think Sean Crawford is kind of a guy you want to see make an impact at some point next year coming off a, a torn Achilles. That's fair to, for a guy with two injuries. So you got Nick Watkins going against Pride, Vaughn, Love. I think all those guys need to uh, improve. Drew, and, of course, safety is clear. Drew Tranquil, Dalen Elliott, and, and Stud still. That's just the secondary as a whole for me. would be nice to see them play well against some teams like USC, Miami. They can throw the ball. Yeah, they just need more there. Statman72, will any of Notre Dame's opponents be in the top 25 in the playoff committee's final rankings? When was the last time every opponent was unranked at season's end? This is right in O'Malley's wheelhouse. I am through the 50s. Didn't I? Didn't, all, all, not, of, yeah. all the way back through the 50s, and Notre Dame has had an opponent ranked in the final poll all the way through 1950. Um, and then. Well, they didn't start ranking them until 46, right? right? And you're so starting to this... look at 36, actually. 36, 36, 36 yeah. But yeah. you're starting to look at, I mean, Army and Navy are going to be ranked, too, going in the 40s quite often. So it's going to be. But the crucial point of this one, will anybody not be ranked at the end of this year? You have the option of Virginia Tech and Navy, right, at this point? Uh, USC would be an and option. And USC would be an USC option, too. Virginia Tech, I think, is a, although they got to play at Pittsburgh Thursday and tonight. No one Notre Dame has played to date will be ranked at the end of the year. Right. Um, but certainly Navy could be ranked at the end That'd of the year. Virginia Tech could be ranked at the end of the year. And USC could be mm-hmm. ranked at the end of the year. Um, if all those things happen, Notre Dame probably lost to all three of them, if not two of them. Today, I just went through the Kelly era. Notre Dame has played 25 teams that were ranked at the end of the year. And they are nine and sixteen against those twenty-five teams, so not a good record. A minimum of three teams ranked every year. Usually, it's four or five. Um, this this year, maybe one or two. But Notre Dame, at best, will probably split if there are two. And Navy's got to make up game with East Carolina. They have Notre Dame. When are they playing that? I don't know. Did they schedule it? Yeah, there was still flooding going on in North Carolina then. All right, Irish Bob. (laughs) Notre Dame has been pushed has pushed the, quote, eject the defensive coach, quote, button, and then pushed the have fun button, and now we're going to the keep it simple button. <laughs> How many more buttons are left to it's, push this season? This is a question I actually asked Brian Kelly after the Stanford game. It's, it's, it is a good question. Now you press the win a damn close game button. Yeah. 
Um, which is, I mean, what they have to do. I, I was on a radio show recently, and the, 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 the person was comparing this season to 2007. It's just like 2007, and I'm like, wait a minute. They were getting destroyed in games, and, and losses are losses, right? Close losses, whatever, but they're still close losses. It's not like they're getting blown out of football games. Um, but so that's my button. But yeah. win a win a damn close game button. Win a game resets the button. As we we joke for one day, it resets it for a whole week for sure. I mean, you're you're able to. Hey, we just beat Miami. Let's go get ready for Navy, who is ranked. And everybody on this team knows how hard it can be to beat them. It's not like they've but these they haven't been blowing the doors off a of Navy during this era. So, but winning the game if you if you lose the game, I don't know what button's left. Yeah. What I, button I, I do don't. you press for Navy next week if you're There's two and six? A, they're out of them. They, they don't have any buttons. So win the game is the button. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and I don't think that's really much of a button either. Right. Like it's yeah. just they've tried everything that they can try, um, and eventually it's going to work, or maybe it won't. But I don't think the coaching staff has a whole lot of say about what happens the rest of the the way. That's a good um, point. Maybe in play calling. But in terms of motivation and preparedness, either the players are going to want to do it or they won't. Um, and that's not even a situation where I'm saying they've tuned out the coaches or Brian Kelly has lost the locker room. <laughs> I'm not sure he ever had a handle on the locker room based on the way the season yeah. went. I mean, I think that's a fair criticism that he never had an understanding of what made this team tick based on basically every decision that's been made has sort of gone sideways one way or the other. I'd, I think they're doing the best that they can in terms of keeping things light. I mean, you hear the defensive coaches or defensive players talk about the, you know, Ric Flair videos and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air videos. <laughs> and this week it was the whale package, which apparently is Pete Makwa blitzing from the safety position barreling over Asmar Bilal on his way to the line of scrimmage and then maybe making a play. He wasn't but, really playing safety. No, he was just, just up there. It, it was, was just a, yeah. yeah, it was a substitution <laughs> era where Pete Mako was like, crap, what are we doing? Uh, but the coaches had enough of a sense of humor to put that cut up in a video and show it before a meeting and say, we're putting in the whale package. Here's what it looks like. Because, um, like, look, it is, I don't want to say it's just football, but... If you want to make it more than that, if you want to make it life and death, that's probably a negative way to go for Notre Dame right now. Yeah, they're engaged, which we said. You guys, are, you're gonna, everyone's going to watch a Notre Dame team that really wants to win this week, and if they do, you'll see it again the following week, and if they don't, we'll find out. You know why they want to win? Because they're all a bunch of good kids, and we've determined that they've got too many good kids, right? Yeah, that's you know. I don't. I don't mean no. no, no, I, no. Yeah, I don't. your sarcasm is. I think the sarcasm is noted. We look. They are. They deserve a win. They deserve, Notre Dame's players deserve a win. I'm not sure the coaching staff deserves to win a game this year, a win. but Notre Dame's players deserve a yeah. win. James Onwalu deserves Yeah, James Onwalu is the captain of this football the poster team child for player development yeah. right now. That guy needs to, I mean, he could not be playing his position better. Yeah, he really couldn't. In any, and I mean, he's done it on the line of scrimmage against the run. He's done it in the pass. He did it against Stanford against the pass. Pia Moore, 1995. Can you please attempt to explain Notre Dame's recruiting philosophy? After losing Donovan Jeter, it doesn't seem like they have any other prospects at DN, yet they let multiple guys like Pay just fall to the other teams. Wouldn't grabbing a developmental prospect be better than getting nobody? Why does Notre Dame seem to be content to pulse all their hopes on one guy panning out instead of looking to build depth? Well, I think there are a couple ways to look at that. Were they building depth two years ago with what they signed at defensive tackle? 
because that's not really because those guys aren't ever going not, to play. That's not working out. Um, are they? Should they sign a guy like Quiddy Pay? Yeah, I think so because that I'm ab- I would be advocating find some guy who's six foot five, two hundred twenty pounds that you can redshirt for two years and then see what you get down the road. Maybe that's that's buying a ticket to the Justin Tuck lottery. They tried to do it with Bo Wallace, didn't work out. Tried to do it with Johnny Williams, didn't work out. Um, yeah, they tried to do it with Colin Hill to a lesser extent, didn't work out. They tried to do it now with Ada Ogundeja. We'll see if it works out in 2019. Um, but the problem is that Ogundeja is the first guy that they have. They don't have this sort of parade of developmental defensive ends. Uh, I would like to see them find somebody who can stick in the weight room for three years at defensive end and go. Um, I do think the defensive end recruiting, you have to at least acknowledge that they signed Khalid Kareem, Dalen Hayes, Julian O'Quara last year, and we've seen at least bits and pieces, certainly of Dalen Hayes, um, and to a certain extent Julian O'Quara, that something's probably happening there. Uh, But... You can't just whiff at the position. It's the ever. whole. It's the and whole you, before them. And you talk kills. like recount what Brian Kelly told you about this question over the summer because you talked to him about this. Yeah, it's the net, and the net's got to be wider. <laughs> he admitted it. You know, it's they're just gonna. There's gonna be years where they hit a couple, and there's gonna be years where they strike out. He admitted that they're gonna strike out, and I think he admitted it in hindsight, knowing they struck out <laughs> with the uh, <laughs> with the current redshirt freshman. Elijah, they can't get out there. They're so far removed. There was a scene during the Stanford game where he caught... Oh, my God. That was unbelievable. He caught a player, we'll just say, <laughs> sitting on the rolled-up tarp. Now, in fairness, he might have just been trying to get a better view of the game. But, as you said... He was blocking the view of fans. <laughs> he couldn't have been any more removed. Literally and, and still meta- been on that side of the wall. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically removed from the playing field <laughs> than he was. And that, look, you're going to strike out, probably, or go... Half of three, which is okay, right? Which is okay, but you just you you got it hit the you home run in the next one. Can't strike out looking, which is right. kind of what's happening sometimes. Swing, take a swing, and, and that's why I, I, Pete, I agree with your theory on get the guy with length that you can yes. build. You know, Tiasum do treadway, although I guess he's kind of longer and and has some kind of reckless athleticism to him, I guess. And Elijah Taylor, those guys, they're, they're not going to play. Elijah Taylor got in against Syracuse, actually made a play, and hasn't played since. It's a unique thing. I guess because he's a third-string tackle, you have Bonner and Tillery, and you yeah. certainly have Cage and Jones. So, And Mock was the next guy. I mean, he is like the sixth interior guy right now. So yeah. it's hard to find time for those guys. You know, we, you can't bury them forever. But if people are wondering, we're referencing the 15 defensive lineman, not the 16 is the strike. Obviously, the, yeah, the 16, 16 guys look good. Yeah, I think the 16 is a good group, and right. I think the 17, even down Donovan Jeter, will be okay, but they're just, it's not the complete set that you need to sign <laughs> on a regular basis. It's just, hey, no, just but not my good God, enough. The loss of Donovan Jeter there is so significant. It's it's outrageous. Helmet 622. Are admissions hurting us as much as we are led on to think, or is it more the kids not wanting to take extra classes? Could they bend a little more than they already are without compromising the academic standard? It seems we are losing more kids with the reason being a class or two, more, um, being short a class or two. Look, for starters, they're not losing any more guys now than they were two years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. They're, it's, 
You have to have some kind of academic profile to get into Notre Dame. And let's be clear about Donovan Jeter. If he had done regular enrollment and taken the classes in the spring semester in high school that Notre Dame wanted him to, which were not extensive, he would have been fine. So you tell me who that who the what the problem was there. Is it Notre Dame being too demanding or is it Donovan Jeter not working hard enough? Because I would go with Donovan Jeter. Well, I, I would agree. And that's Notre Dame. I mean, I just, that's Notre Dame. There has to be, you, they have to draw a line. Notre Dame has bent. Pete, they've bent. Notre Dame is bending as much as they can bend on these Notre issues. Dame had a starting defensive line not that long ago of Aaron Lynch, Stephon Tuitt, and Lewis Nix. You want to tell me they weren't making exceptions to get guys into school? Because I'm just not going to believe it. I think there's two answers to this question. The reasonable ones that you just gave, and someone that doesn't want to believe that they can't bend more. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all there is. Well, here's the there's no other way of looking at it. They want anybody in the school, and that's not going to happen at Notre Dame. This is the issue. You could, could you bend more? Yes. Then what happens when they get suspended for inel- academic ineligibility? What happens when they're the next Everett Golson? They're the next Tavares Daniels? They're the next Alize Jones? They're the next Kavari Russell? Then what? What was the point of then that? You acu- then what's you the occur- point? You accuse the professors. Yeah, what's... I mean, I, there's, <laughs> there's just... There's no point in bending more than you already are because you're showing the guys that you're bending the most for are not making it on a straight four-year path at a high enough level. I mean, they've bent... Like, how for Devontae Neal, who was then bounced after basically one semester, um, T. Shepard... I mean... There are, you could just go on and on about guys that they really it's, bent over backwards to get into school that then promptly repaid that faith by leaving after one year. It's difficult at Notre Dame. It's always been difficult at Notre Dame for, for, for football players. You realize that. That doesn't mean that Notre Dame's not committed to winning. They're committed to winning within their structure and within within the way they feel that the, the football program needs to be run. It's it's more difficult for Notre Dame. That's part of part of being a Notre Dame fan. I grew up. I grew up in South Bend. Part of being a Notre Dame fan is accepting the fact that it is more difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't even know why this is continually argued. When because when they had a, they're having a losing season. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, because yeah, they just lost Donovan Jeter for crying out loud. I tell you, on next week's podcast, we'll get a question about should Notre Dame take JUCOs. Because that's, I mean, these are these are the cliched questions yeah. that you get in a losing season. Here's what Notre Dame needs to do: do a better job recruiting Solomon Thomas. That's the solution. And do a better job of rec- of, of coaching the players that you currently have on this yeah. football team because you've done an awful job of coaching this team. Yeah, this is not a, a giant. <laughs> this is not just a vacuum of horrid recruiting of four years that has made Notre Dame this bad because. Everybody in the free world thought they were one of the 20 best teams in the country this year. And their talent is of one of the 20 to 25 best teams in the country, no matter how you look at it. Who on this team, how could this team not be a top 25 team in terms of talent? With the quarterback, the two future guaranteed NFL offensive linemen starting for them. Wide receivers that are going to be good players. Do we all like the wide receiver group going forward for talent? Yeah. Yeah, C.J. Sanders, Equinemia, St. Brown, Yeah, I, keep, I keep comparing him to last year's group. Alizé Jones was on the team. He got in. Right. He failed. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. I'm not blaming him on this one. I'm, I'm blaming people that want to get everybody in. Did he fail or not try? Well, you failed to try. I mean, I, I, Rams I, failed that, to prepare yeah. for games. They're failing. Brian yeah. Kelly and the staff are failing. They're failing to prepare their team. It's a failure. It's not a total <laughs> lack of talent. 
They have enough players to win. They can't beat Alabama. Get used to it. Yeah. They, they could be Duke. They could be Duke. Right. Could be Texas. Could be Michigan State. Could you be two and five Michigan State? Could, could, be, could be Stanford. Stanford. Will lose to NC State? Yeah. Certainly, certainly could have won that game. I mean, we would still be there if they blocked or could protect Tyler Newsom. Right. That game would still be going Notre on. Dame, Notre Dame is two and five because of the way this team has been taught and coached, not because of recruiting. Yeah. I mean, it's look, it's it's everything. The recruiting yeah. element is like, why isn't Notre Dame beating Alabama or Ohio State? Recruiting. It's right. a big part of that. <laughs> yes. It doesn't That's have much good. to do with Duke or Stanford. All right, Wash ND. Since the season is likely to end with a sub-500 record, what do you think are realistic expectations for next season? And what is going to take, record-wise, next season for Brian Kelly to keep his job after 2017? Right. We did not talk about Jack Sorbrick's vote of confidence in the first segment, we should probably address that here. Well, realistic expectation, I think, if you're a Notre Dame fan, is wrote about it on the message board is a nine and three regular season, and that is a little bit of purgatory because you're probably going to follow it with a nine and three or eight and four regular season, and you're back where you started. If they are eight and four, I think it is feasible that you say, "All right, it's not getting better. We right. move on." I don't reference the bowl game because who cares who you beat in the bowl game when you're nine and three. I know somebody who will. Yeah, I do too, but great. Whatever. You're 9-3, you go to the Belk Bowl, and you play the bowl game. Does it really matter? Are you good because you won the Belk Bowl? Is that where you need to be if you're Notre Dame? Or do you need to no. go 10-2 and two in a regular season? Right. I mean, the real challenge is beating somebody good in a bowl game, yeah. in a big bowl game, and they haven't been able to, not only have they not been able to do it, they haven't been able to come close in in doing that. Yes, Jack Swarbrick, uh, vote of confidence. I think it's... It's a stretch to say it means nothing, uh, but but it, it doesn't guarantee that Brian Kelly will be back next year. We think he will. It's something that yeah. we've discussed this, and then and then Swarbrick came out, and we were actually pretty adamant about it. Um, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, you, I mean, if, if there's two and ten, right, if there's a, if there's a, gonna, he's gonna get fired. But we don't, but we don't expect two right, and ten. So, right. but if there is a complete collapse, yeah, yeah, it could I mean, change. Look, but we Swarbrick, didn't expect two and five. No, and Swarbrick. But over the course of 12 games, it usually yeah. kind of evens out a little bit with the close losses. But Swarbrick felt the need to to make a statement. I thought Brian Kelly had an interesting response to it, saying he's disappointed. I thought that was It was awkward. a little strict. Yeah, it was a little bit. It he just didn't deliver bit. it the way he no. needed to. But yeah. the point was good, but I wish I didn't He's sick and tired of being yet. sick and tired. You know, I yeah, think that yeah. that was kind of a a way of kind of taking a slap at himself a little bit, I guess, under the circumstances. Um but again, I you know I think a realistic record. I think you know a realistic record is nine or maybe ten wins. They're probably the reality is that they're probably not going to have Deshaun Kaiser next year, whether he's ready for the NFL or not. He's one of the most accomplished and promising quarterbacks that could be in the draft this year. That's the best we, way of saying it. Yes, I because I was looking he at won't. It differently. Than no, you. of course you're looking. Right is way. he ready to? Yeah. Well. Probably not, but that rarely has anything to do with anything today. And when you look at his dimensions and his long-term potential, I, I, who who is a better prospect? You know, we know what... Uh, it looks uh, like you want an NFL quarterback to look like. Right. We know what, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, what he's capable of doing on a collegiate level. He's not a good NFL fit, per right. se. Lamar Jackson's ridiculous. He's not a good NFL fit, per se. Is... Kaya's got another year, right? But Kaya could come out. Yeah, yes, it, that's would you have would you take Kaiser over Kaya in the NFL? Probably. Right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think Kaya's I mean, he's bigger, stronger, more, more mobile. 
Kai's advantage is there's more tape on him, like which may be a weakness maybe as well. A disadvantage, yeah. but like you know a little bit, he's a little bit more of a proven product one way or the other. Kaiser's a little, maybe a little bit more of a gamble. I'd say so. As it relates to next year, if Notre Dame goes five and seven, and you're talking about maybe winning ten games, you know how many times in 129 years Notre Dame has increased its win total by five games year over year. They almost did it with Weiss. <laughs> Just missed. They did it. They've done it four <laughs> yeah. times in 129 years. They've improved by five wins year over year. Well, that's been hard to do most of the time because they've been a. That's true. Eight, it's happened once win. in the last yeah. 50 years be a, when they've had a bunch of losing. There'd be a healthy collection like of four, seasons. probably right. I, you like, know, I a don't. Good group of four. Of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Not I, a lot, but there's yeah. there's a you put group. a lot of stock in that when you've got 55 out of 61 guys in your depth chart returning. Although Kaiser probably isn't one of them. I mean, you know, Wimbush is your quarterback next year, sure, right? Sure, and I don't think that's a problem. I mean, I, I, I know you're no, breaking I mean, the guy we in. Both, and, we both talked about yeah. it. It's like you looked, I mean, Notre Dame with a redshirt freshman or freshman quarterback, which I know Wimbush is technically not next year. I think they're, is it 23 and 4? Four? Four? Yeah. And with a sophomore, true sophomore, junior, or senior, I think he's like 30. Four and twenty three. So why is that? Because they don't. Over, yeah. Because he doesn't make him carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah. So, yeah. Right? Hey, he's so, Brian Kelly admitted it. We asked him about it. <laughs> he said maybe I. And that principle will apply next year to Brandon Wimbush, whether he was a freshman or a redshirt sophomore. Right. You know that that applies. That's a reason historically that you can feel good about next year um, because Brandon Wimbush is not going to be asked to do things that Kaiser's asked to do now. I didn't think this was. I mean, I I, I thought it was a nine and three, eight and four team. Because of their D line, you know, we've talked about this before, but two and five at this point, and that's ludicrous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous. Next year, look, they're they're always they're they're all Nording was ranked high this year because they won ten games last year. They'll be ranked yeah. low next year because they're only going to win five or four, five or six this year. Whatever. That's just kind of the way the way it is. Dip ninety eight. What are you? What are you suggesting for fixing the long-standing problems with Nordings pass rush, recruit differently, scheme? Yeah, I, and it's kind of mentioned that briefly in, in segment one, but I, I would give up on it. I would rush three and see what you get that way. I mean, I was sort of going through the Syracuse game, uh, a little bit the Stanford game, and then also NC State, which I guess I don't know if that matters a whole lot just based on the conditions. But against Syracuse... Against three-man rushes, Syracuse went 8 of 15 for just 55 yards. And, the and, yards. They, got a, and they got a sack. It's the yards that matter. Yeah. NC State gets yeah. a three-man rush, 4 of 6 for 23 yards. I mean, you just look at Stanford's, um, you know, just going through the first quarter, they rushed three twice. I think Burns was 1 of 2 for 6 yards. Um, and that's a big change from where they were. And I think this is the most interesting part about it. Against Texas, Nevada, Michigan State, and Duke. Notre Dame rushed three just five times. So this is this has gone from something we never do to something that is a regular part of the defense. That's a big change. And I think that, that gets back to keep the ball in front of you. If you're rushing three, that means you're dropping three linebackers and you're probably a nickel. That means you got eight man in coverage. It means you're not getting beat deep, which has been a big change from where they are. And it's a, overall it's a it's a positive change in the defense. So forget the pass rush. Just rush three and if you can play coverage for five seconds, you yeah, might actually every get some now pressure. and then bring you know yeah. tranquil or bring a corner or 
you know, but yeah, I mean, I agree. It's been successful for them. And of course, Van Gorder would never do that because he couldn't stand the thought of only rushing three guys. Yeah, but the good news is in college football, you have like two months to settle into the season. You know, it doesn't really matter if you lose games early and you're two and eight or something like that. Just settle in, get better, get good for the playoffs. It drives me crazy yeah. that people, oh, we're going to get better. Well, great. Congratulations. <laughs> you keep getting better. See where it gets you. You're a, you're a vastly improved 4 and 18. Yeah. But that is the short term, long term. I think we touched on it previously. It is definitely, that is where the recruiting struck out looking. He was asking long term, struck out looking. Yeah. It was certainly part of that. Take a recruiting. swing. Yeah. Take a swing. It's like, because really, if, if a guy, if you have a guy in your program who was an edge rusher, like if Adeyemundeje, red shirts, doesn't play the next three years, and is sort of like a journeyman fringe type player as a fifth year senior, I would still say that was a good take because you need to take those kinds of players. Um, just it's like, like I said, you buy a ticket to the Justin Tuck Larry. It doesn't mean you're going to win every time, yeah. but that doesn't mean the approach was wrong. Um, just keep taking those kinds of guys. I mean, in some ways, Romeo Quaro was one of those kinds of guys. I know he had an offer from Clemson, and he was a three-star prospect. But still, he wasn't like a big-time recruit that everybody wanted. Now they should have redshirted him, and he should still be on the team now. Yeah. It's, that could be a completely different... That could be segment four of Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs> but 7-0. Oh. he developed over time and turned into a good player. Um, you know, now it's you know, with the Giants. So that's, that's what you need to do every year. It would be a completely... It would be a much different looking D front with him and Rochelle as a bookend. Yeah, no question. All right, well, that's it for segment two on Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment three, I'm on the phone with Jake Brown talking Texas recruiting, recruiting class overall. We'll get into Donovan Jeter and Elijah Hicks a little bit more on that. So, all that, segment three, Irish Illustrated Insider is next. Back to Irish Illustrated Insider, segment three, our recruiting roundup. And on the phone, Jake Brown from Texas. Uh, we've sent him down there to see three commitments. Saw one today, two over the next couple days. And I guess, Jake, what are you most interested to see uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth and then over to Houston over the weekend? Well, I was, I think, most interested to see Paulson Adebo just because we don't know a whole lot about him, even though he's been committed in Notre Dame since June. Um but it sounds like he's a little banged up. He's got a shoulder thing going on, and uh, the coaches were thinking about holding him out tomorrow, or w- which will be tonight, and when the podcast runs, um, because they want him healthy for the playoffs. So I wanted to see him, especially since he plays both sides of the ball. Um, it doesn't sound like I'm going to. But um, aside from that, um, I want to see the Avery Davis show at Cedar Hill. All his wide receivers are D1 guys, and uh, they've been rolling up about 60 points a game here for the past five weeks. Um, so I'm pretty pretty excited to see that on Friday night. And then, I mean, you saw Adebo. That was sort of the first thing you did once you were down there. And there had been a little bit buzz that his commitment may be wavering. He was up for his official at the Stanford. Did you get much of a vibe on that? It's really hard. Um, he doesn't really do, – he doesn't do a ton of interviews. Um, I think he's only done one or two since he committed way back in, in over the summer. And um, it's just hard to tell. I mean, he had good things to say about his official visit. Mom's on board. Brother made the trip um, for the Stanford game, so that's good. The family seems to have it kind of, you know, has Notre Dame down pat. Um, but I asked him, you know, if he's talking to other schools or what the deal is, and he just said, well, I'm 100% committed and kind of left it at that. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't really see him 
going anywhere else outside of Texas, I guess. I know people have worried about Stanford. I don't know if, if TCU is a real player or not. He just doesn't really get into it a whole lot. Yeah, and then Brock Wright wrapping up the weekend. You'll see him, I think, his game's Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's a team that's coming out a little bit too in Cy Fair. Um, I guess, what do you want to see from him live? Yeah, I don't, I honestly, I, first time I watched his film was probably back when he committed, and that's been well over a year now. So I, I just will kind of go into that, you know, with a blank slate. Um, I want to see if he's more of a pass catcher or more of a blocker. I get the sense that he might be more of an inline blocker that kind of complements the passing game rather than a split out wide guy. Um, but I want to see that for myself. I don't really know. So I think it would be good for me to get my eyes on him without without a ton of um, preconceived notions about who he is or what he is and how he might uh, pair with Cole Komet. Yeah, and it's, I mean, he's a rarity today. Like, he hasn't done camps, combines. Um, you know, we didn't see him at the opening or opening regionals, uh, anything like that. So this will really sort of be one of the, the first looks that we'll have had of him at all. Yeah, it's that's the thing is you know unless unless you were at the Texas seven on seven tournament or, or something recently or over the summer you just didn't get to see him um, and that is kind of a throwback uh, for a kid that highly regarded not to be out on the camp circuit at all really is uh, just doesn't happen a whole lot anymore so yeah I think it'd be interesting to see how he is in a game and you always get a better sense of a tight end I think especially when blocking is actually a part of what he does um, when they're in pads as opposed to running around and shorts and t-shirts at the opening or wherever else you know it's like so let's break up recruiting a little bit more big picture now it's been a while since we've talked about it on the podcast because frankly it's been a while since a whole lot has happened um elijah hicks commitment uh donovan jeter decommitment what's your sort of feeling on where this class is right now and how much upside is there actually for notre dame's recruiting campaign the rest of the way yeah i'm a i've thought about that a lot here in the last couple of weeks and I think, like, Elijah Hicks is a nice ad. I like I like him. Um, but when you look at both master lists, it's really hard to go down them and say, well, they could get this guy and they could get this guy. So I wonder if at this point it's more about kind of holding together what you have, not losing a guy like Paul Sinadiba who you really like, and then maybe tacking on one or two more guys late. I mean, that, that puts them well short of getting anywhere near 25 um, total commitments in this class. But... It's going to be a, you know, we kind of thought it might be a small class anyway. So if you get to 20, is that good? Probably, considering the season and the transition on defense. Um, but it, it's hard to see where they're going to add, like, real impact guys down the stretch, which I think, you know, you, you don't want to see the class stall out where it is. It's just really hard to find more guys that are r- looking to jump on board. Yeah, really. I mean, especially the the defensive line, you kind of feel like they were done with Donovan Jeter and now he's off the board to Michigan. Obviously, that was messy the way that it all went down. Um, you know, now Notre Dame's sort of holding out hope that maybe Hunter Eccles could come out for a visit, the USC commit. Uh, his teammates of with Jameer Calvin at uh, Los Angeles Cathedral. That's not happening this weekend. Um, Calvin had talked about taking an official. That won't occur. And then um, Devin Hunter as well, five-star safety maybe going to come out this weekend that's a scratch he had scratched for stanford as well so uh sort of a small visitor list this weekend but i don't know is there is there a guy or two that when you look at the master list you're like okay this would change my entire opinion as class if this guy comes on board yeah i would start with foster serrell right i mean yeah he's 
the number two player in the country. And I mean, to me, Notre Dame is still a legitimate option. It's about him being comfortable, you know, being 2,000 miles away from home, which isn't easy to do, especially with the season Washington is having and Stanford's been there for a long time. But yeah, it's interesting. Like even a position like offensive line, which Notre Dame recruits well, they're still waiting on guys, which isn't something that has happened a lot. And you really can't put Notre Dame as a favorite for any of them, even with Sarah, who really likes Notre Dame. So yeah, if you're going to, you know, change the complexion of the class, you add a five-star offensive tackle that helps. And, and then on, it's like on defense, you want to maybe find a guy that, would have a similar type of buzz. Um, and I don't know if there is one right now. Uh, maybe if Josh Pascal comes back on board as a legitimate option, he would be a guy. Um, but aside from that, on defense, it's really hard to find somebody that would, you know, stop you in your tracks and say, now this class um, has a little bit more buzz than what it has right now. Yeah, no question. That sort of leaves Notre Dame with maybe a fringe top 10 class, probably in the low teens, high teens, like 12, 13, depending on how you want to look at it. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it, it plays out from here because there's just not a lot of guys. I mean, you revamped the master list the last couple of weeks. It's surprising to me how few guys are actually on the board and kind of makes you think they're looking for more guys, but it's hard to come up with sort of that next level right now. I, I don't really know who that would be. Yeah, definitely. I was a little surprised that only one new offer went out during the bye week, but maybe they're still in an evaluation mode or they don't have guys they're ready to move on. That's, you know, I I was surprised that there wasn't more action during the bye week. If you really want to push this class toward 23-ish, you you have to extend some new offers because there's not a lot of traction unless they think they can work their way back in with guys in December, but that's really hard to do. Yeah, no question. All right, well, that's it for our recruiting roundup. The people demanded it. Jake Brown delivered it. So thanks for uh, joining us. Enjoy the rest of the weekend in Texas. I will. It's 85 degrees down here, so I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. (laughs) So it's not uh, 52 and raining. Got it. Thanks. We've got a a video interview with Paulson Adebo up on the site right now, and we'll have video interviews and highlights with Avery Davis and Brock Wright throughout the weekend on irishillustrated.com. So you can check all that out on the website. And that's it for this week's podcast. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, joined remotely by Jake Brown. You've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. The cops are gone.